You're listening to The Byliners, presented by The Gateway. Hello, hello, hello. It's the week of November 22nd, 2020, and you're listening to The Byliners, your weekly dose of pop culture and U of A news, presented by The Gateway, the University of Alberta student-run magazine. I'm your host, Tom DeKezzi, the arts and culture editor at The Gateway, and I'm here with The Gateway's opinion editor, Mitchell Pollock. Hey, faves. (laughs) And we're also here with our online editor, Pia Ko. Hello. Hey, Pia. Um, Kadra, our news editor, she wasn't able to make it today. She was a little bit busy, but we still have our trio and we're ready to go. Um, We are recording on Sunday, November 22nd. I thought it might be important to mention that yesterday was the Gateway's 110th anniversary. Gateway's damn old. Um, Very but, uh, old. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, but... Almost as old as the province. I think we want to be older than the province, right? No, five years younger. It's just just younger. Five yeah, years just younger, a little yeah. bit younger. Yeah, um, so obviously, you know, turning 110 is a big deal. Um, the Gateway, we have a lot of things planned for that. Um, the 110 anniversary edition of the magazine... Uh, hit newsstands last week so make sure to go pick that up if you're ever in the university area or if you ever want to read it online at our website through issue um and another thing we did to celebrate 110 years is we actually recently launched an online store on redbubble.com um features some awesome merch like sweaters hoodies t-shirts bags mugs stickers am i missing anything i think pullovers uh, long sleeves no that, i think that's uh, yeah. everything yeah, we- t-shirts stickers yeah I yeah get them all they're so cute um i don't know if snapbacks are still campus. in but that'd be pretty dope or if we there's a the there's gateway a gateway dot hat there is Yo, a gateway dot hat somewhere even better mm-hmm. uh yeah so it is released just in time for the holidays so make sure to follow the link on our instagram page um or follow the banner at the gatewayonline.ca or just look at the gateway on redbubble.com Hook yourself up and your friends uh, this holiday season. Um, but now that we've got all the intro stuff out of the way, as usual, I thought it'd be nice to just ask everybody <laughs> how we're doing. Uh, I know there isn't much variation these days, like week to week, but you know it's still nice to check up on you guys, see see how everyone's doing. How you doing? How you doing this week, Pia? This week, I feel like I've been getting colder and colder. The the snow is setting now, and the, it's like an ice block out box outside listeners so that kind of sucks um other things on my plate i suppose that a school is winding down so we got those midterms finals to start thinking about and by start thinking about i still mean i'll start thinking about them way later and too close to the deadline or on the day of but you know at least i'm thinking about it right now so that's where i'm at they're just in your mind in your heart <laughs> yeah you know and that's sometimes you know putting it the the google calendar stuff that's the best you can do for now. <laughs> Maybe my brain will actually start processing it properly closer to the actual dates. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I know, I'm in that weird phase. I think my brother, he was asking me, um, like, just a couple of days ago, how school's going. And I was like, I feel as though I'm in a state where I know in about six days I'm going to be incredibly stressed. And I this is, like, the phase where I could start doing stuff to get ahead. But a part of me is like, yeah, you know. Oh, will I? <laughs> yeah, no. I've been there before. Like, this is what, and year honestly, five? And honestly, the yeah. fact that a pandemic has just made the days just melt into each other. I have no concept of time anymore. Everything is just, 
a gestalt, you know? <laughs> I just don't yeah. know what's happening anymore. Um, but other than my uh, derealization and dissociation, perhaps Mitchell has a more interesting <laughs> week <laughs> ahead of him. Um, nope, same, same exact wow. thing for me, if Whoa, I'm being what honest. A, what a surprise um, there. <laughs> I, I am getting a s- slight bit ahead on some stuff, um, so it looks I'm already behind on other school stuff. Mm. Um, it's getting ahead so I can justify getting behind um if you know what i mean yo that should be like an album title Um, getting behind (laughs) so i can justify to get behind behind. uh yeah it's it's where i'm at uh but yeah so i feel that i'm trying to trying to finish some papers um i'm writing a super great exciting paper about the colorado senate race so you know looking into john hickenlooper who has to be the most wonderbred democrat i've ever seen in my life um so you say that and i raise you john Kasich. <laughs> john Kasich isn't a democrat though that's the best part of that john john oh. is as a republican yeah he's like oh. a pseudo i saw this funny tweet you guys heard about the lincoln project like that group of oh yeah like republicans yeah. who like tore away i guess broke away from the party for joe biden someone someone put out this tweet it's like you're not a lincoln project democrat you're a bush republican <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good the accuracy <laughs> The Damn, pop off. Yeah, that might be a conversation for another day. Like, who's the most wonderbred um, liberal? I think Trudeau's in the conversation for that. Ah, uh, Diane Feinstein. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, fi- I, don't, I don't see. I I ain't gonna come for Feinstein. Feinstein is pretty white, though. I'm not gonna lie. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think. I feel like wonderbred. Like, I the way I look at a wonderbred candidate is just if they if their personality is that too. Like, I feel like Feinstein sometimes has like a little spice. Like, she can, like, get a little bit of stuff. Like, she was the one that broke the um, the Harvey Weinstein story, like, wide open. Like, that was her. So I'm willing mm-hmm. to give her some credit. John Hickenlooper's just, like, a tall glass of milk of, of a candidate. <laughs> he, was, like, a, he, was, he was a governor. And he, like, I'll, I'll send... I will send this to Tom and Pia, and um, I will ask Tom to include it in the footnotes. But, yeah, there's this one ad he did to try and get the vote out for youth. And it's it's something else. It's awful. It's he has a can, and it just opens with him yelling "yeet" and like throwing it, like quite far. <laughs> and he like, explains it's so bad. It's so bad. Um, I hope it wasn't televised. It was. It, it was at a bare minimum, though. It was on Twitter because that is where I saw it. And My God. He explains what like yeeting it means, and then <laughs> oh, he, he explains the it. whole ad. He has the whole ad where he's like. Colorado, let's yeet Cory Gardner out of the Senate. And I was like, Oh my God. Good Lord. No, Yo. sir. And you know, like, if I, I hate Cory Gardner, but no. If if John Hickenlooper is a tall glass of milk, I want the listeners to know that I am in real life and also in this circumstance lactose intolerant, okay? Whoa. I just will not uh. process that. My body's like, nope. Mm-mm. You thought not, not even work the lactase? Uh, you know, have you ever met a lactose intolerant person, Tom? They don't fear God. They, no, they, they don't. You you watch them eat like the biggest ice cream you've ever seen in your life. And you're like, should you be doing that? And they look at you with that face, and they're like, does it does it look like I fear anything? Does it look yeah. like I fear anything? I don't fear God. I don't fear the government. I fear nothing. And yeah, then they like, eat it. That's like the one personality trait which there's zero variation on. Every lactose, <laughs> no, literally every. I've never met a lactose intolerant person who takes being lactose intolerant seriously. <laughs> literally every single Same. one of them is yeah. like the only difference is whether or not they eat lactase. 
Um, but mm-hmm. they all they all roll the dice. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty much. There was a there was a point in time where our uh, magazine editor Tina, uh, she went on a real bender when it went to not bender in the party sense, but just was going bender. to. Like, yeah, like a lot of cafes for a couple weeks last year. And she put, like, the pictures on her Instagram story. And for a long time, I would respond to every single one of them, like, you okay? You tummy okay? You take your lactase? Do you just have a milkshake and also ice cream? Do you have a cheese sandwich and also ice cream? And for the and from that point on, she just started tagging me in her, her Instagram Jeez. stories or posts about oh. uh, with lactose-filled food, just so I could see. Um but yeah, that's uh, that's I think what it's like to be lactose intolerant. Actually, I know what that's like because I am lactose intolerant, and that's why I'm brave. You know, that's why I don't fear anything at all. For a second, you, you didn't even identify. Yeah, it's my master label. It's my master label. It's literally the best thing about me. As, as a sociologist, as someone who's taken a social 100 level course, I appreciate that reference, Pia. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, that's why the way, that's the way I am. It's because I'm lactose intolerant. It's my best personality trait. It's <laughs> it is everything and, and more. <laughs> um. Okay, I'm trying to think how my week has been going. I guess I didn't share that. Mm. Uh. Do you guys feel as though like the lockdown or at least the impending lockdown is like slowly closing closing down on us? Like I know yesterday I uh I went to dinner and just like me and one other person and I was thinking to myself like yo this is the end. Like this is the last time I'm going to be able to do this for a while. Cuz I think a lot like when you talk to people everyone kind of has the feeling that things are about to shut down again. Um have you guys felt that or or is it just me in my circles? Mm-hmm. I've personally felt that a lot. Um, I mean, I, I have to be honestly, I'm I'm like, unlike Pia, I'm not lactose intolerant, and I am scared to look into the face of God, so I, <laughs> I have yet to go. Um, and, um, Those two traits are very closely linked. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but I have yet to go out to a restaurant in such a long time, because I'm too scared of catching COVID. I now know multiple yeah. people in my personal life that have gotten COVID, Um and it's ooky spooky, really? so uh, count count me out. Yeah, one of my my half cousin has officially half got cousin. it this weekend. Damn. Yeah, it's 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 a whole thing, but yeah. Um, but it's yeah, and so I've been too scared. But honestly, I do feel anytime I talk to someone, there's an impending sense there's going to be a lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will point to the fact that like looking at COVID responses across Canada, the entirety of the prairies for a while was really big into that whole hands off thing, personal responsibility thing that. Alberta yeah. and Saskatchewan are still on. Um, Manitoba's done a complete U-turn. Manitoba's putting in, like, very strict restrictions because they realize it is not working for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Alberta's also now the only province without a mask bylaw. We are the only province that does not have a provincial mandate to wear masks yeah. um, and make them mandatory. So I feel like, at a bare minimum, it's going to get a lot stricter here relative to what it is. Yeah. You know, going like back to the topic of the pandemic, like let's say, do both of you feel like you're ready to go back to a like April May style lockdown if you had to? Well, I guess it's not really a choice, but do you feel like mentally, physically prepared for that? I think what's really benefited me as in the past few months, I've had like my circle's been as and my bubble has been as small as I can make it. Mm-hmm. I think the only restaurant I've gone to eat out to was once because I was at Ikea looking at furniture I needed for my house and got a little bit peckish. We crawled to like the, the side of Ikea food court that had the least amount of people 
and it was mm. exhilarating my partner and i were like oh my goodness i haven't eaten in a restaurant in forever and this is that's the one that we've eaten at like and that's the only one so far so for me i feel like i'm ready in the sense that i've been kind of my behaviors have been mostly um pretty conducive and the same uh the only thing that's been more frequent for me is i've i found myself uh, thankfully saved up enough money to go on like some road trips to cabins where there are very little people around and just enjoy nature because that's also been i feel like enjoying nature is like really critical and being outside has been really critical to the pandemic obviously away from people but yeah just to answer your question in short tom i'm ready i feel like i'm prepared to do what it takes you know like i um, and I, I'm going to keep doing that even uh, for for the next little while, because even when the vaccine comes out, right, we need to still stay yeah. at home after getting the vaccines to actually uh, develop those antibodies. So I think I think I'm ready. I think what I'm not going to be ready for is the anti-mask protests and just like being regularly exposed to the cor- the kind of like corny bullshit that some people have been saying about yeah. lockdown measures and that's always going to you know going to give me a new headache but for me personally I need it to happen I need it to happen now um and I worry for people like my mom she's a teacher at an elementary school uh mm-hmm. and that's like horrifying you would think that back in the day if you told people yeah, my mom's a teacher. They're like, okay, cool. But nowadays you tell them my mom's a teacher and everyone's like, oh, oh my God, is she okay? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for me, yeah, let's lock down. Let's do it properly this time. Um, uh, yeah, and I'm ready to go. What about you folks? How about you, Misha? You feel ready? Yeah, I, I feel in a very similar boat to Pia where I feel pretty ready to do anything it takes. Like, especially like, I'm, I'm really personally tired of seeing so many... Albertans, not about so many Albertans, Canadians, but just people in general. I'm seeing, I'm tired of seeing so many people in the world just die for something that could be dealt with more efficiently. And obviously, I get mm-hmm. that lockdowns have real repercussions that like come with them that are economic and social and like that that need to realistically be addressed. Um, however, I'm a hundred percent willing to go back down into lockdown if it means people stop dying. Um, <laughs> I think it's vital. Like it's 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 a it's a well worth it trade off for me. Um and like you know, um personally I, I like mentally it would be a bit hard because I am extremely tired of working from home, as I'm sure many other people are. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also know that it's worth it in the short term, so that I can actually keep people in my community alive in the long term. And yeah, as Pia said, I also I have a friend that's also on, a friend a family member that's on the uh, front line as well. My sister's a nurse, so I I have mega respect for anyone, whether it's teachers, nurses, doctors, that be on the front line and that have to go through this kind of pandemonium every single day. And so if it's if it means less stress for them and more people stay alive, then yeah, lock me down. Throw away the key at Jason Kenny. I'm I'm ready. Yeah, it's crazy <laughs> that people have weird expectations for lockdowns as though people who advocate for them don't understand that there are implications as a as a result of them like we're talking about a problem all solutions are generally imperfect we're just trying to find the most effective um an efficient sort of solution that is an imperfect solution to an imperfect problem right and that's what lockdowns really are um but look at like new zealand look at the arctic part of or not arctic eastern canada um They just there's a lot of anecdotal but as well as empirical evidences 
to posit that this is the way to go. So I don't know. There's a lot of shit on Netflix. I've been watching Trailer Park Boys. I will continue Damn, to watch. Damn, it's gotten that dark. <laughs> hey, yo. <laughs> Honestly, trust me. Trailer Park Boys no, is I've the watched it. Yeah, yeah. penultimate <laughs> pandemic show. It's brought such a light. Uh, those hijinks and antics are really getting me through. And there's just like a thousand things to watch on Netflix. We can get through lockdown. We have Spotify. We have like, you know, we have like Uber Eats. Tip your delivery drivers, by the way. And 20% because it really sucks what they're doing right now. Um, we, we, have, we have Netflix. You know, we have the privilege of living in a Western society where our conveniences can be delivered to us. Like even groceries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's do our part, right? So that's, I guess that's my thoughts on that. What about you, Tom? Yeah, I don't know. I think, um, like, in the last lockdown, I I think I eventually just, like, developed a pattern of living, which was, you know, maybe not ideal, but I think, like, relatively sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I think just having having done it before, like, I think it would be possible to go back to it. Obviously, the big difference is this would be in winter rather rather than summer. And, like, I know back in the day, like, stuff like taking walks was a big deal for me. Like, I did that Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, And now it's going to be, I'm guessing... I'm going to be spending a significantly larger amount of time um, just indoors. But yeah, I, I, I think it, it does come back to like, like, like what you and what you and Mitchell were saying, like, you know, at the end of the day, like I understand why people are maybe are hesitant about going into lockdowns and, and, um, and like some of the concerns people have, like be it, be it about business or, or their, or their personal lives or things like that. And I think like in, in a time like that, that's where it, it, it is really important that you have like decisive leadership rather than people who are kind of going like, eh, we'll kind of do this, kind of do that, especially like when you're in a situation where people are dying every single day um, that you that you hesitate to make a decision. But I don't know. Yeah, I think obviously like when you just look at, at the sum of, of what we're of what we're facing right now, uh, it's it's not it's not the worst thing going back into lockdown or at least not for me like i i think that is something worth pointing out i think everybody has a very different quarantine experience we talked about it a few weeks ago i think it was on the first episode like you know some people like if let's say if you're kardashian your quarantine can be on a private island (laughs) with all your friends who have been tested and (laughs) um, and are also beautiful beautiful millionaires like you um well obviously for other people it's, it's very different like everything's on a spectrum but i think i think just like speaking for me personally like i've the fact that we've done this before um does make it a lot less daunting you know yeah but um I hopefully hopefully alberta makes it through this um you know the world in general but especially alberta because i think that's a that's definitely a question mark these days <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> or at least until the spring when um when the vaccine is supposed to come through. Uh, but uh, I think we can now hop into headlines for this week. Um, we have a lot of stuff to get through. We have a lot of uh, a lot of business um, to cover. So I thought maybe it'd be nice to start off with uh, a more lighthearted headline. So this is from a few days ago. Um, this is from Toronto. So a uh, Toronto man, um, he's recently volunteered to eat a 14-year-old can of soup to raise $10,000 for a food bank. So uh, <laughs> to give uh, to give the listeners a little more background, um, Oliver Bryan, uh, he's he's a Torontonian. Um, and on November 18th, so about four days ago, the Parkdale Community Food Bank, they posted a photo on Instagram of a can of chicken noodle soup that they'd been donated, which had expired in uh, in 2006. Wonderful year. 
Um, and like, first of all, I guess it kind of speaks to the issue of, of, of expired food being donated to, to food banks. Cause I, I, I like I, knowing people who have worked in food banks, that is a really common thing of, of people just saying like, Oh, this has been in my pantry for a while. Let me just toss it into, to the food bank, not really bothering to check the, the label. And I think even the, even in the article, the, the food bank says like, generally, if you're going to donate something to us, ask yourself first, would I eat this thing? Um, mm-hmm. But they posted a picture of it onto their Instagram. Uh, if if the listeners, if you want to look up the article, they post a screenshot of their conversation with Oliver Bryant. It's hilarious. So they post the picture and then he responds like, I'll eat it if your followers donate 10K. Um, the food bank, the food bank responds like, okay, done. I'll grab it from the trash if you're down. <laughs> and then I think it just, it, it immediately hits uh, uh, Oliver what he's done. And he's like, oh, fuck, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it. I don't care. It's probably okay, right? <laughs> um, you know, um, yeah. I I actually used to work at the Campus Food Bank, which uh-huh. is the food bank at the University of Alberta that um, serves university staff, students, and alumni up to five years. And man, y'all should see the shit that we used to get donated. We have a jello wall or they had a jello wall they still have it in their office of just really old jello that people have donated there is a, a celery flavored aspic jello brand aspic that was donated from probably the 1960s and if you read the back of the box there's like a, a recipe for i think it's mayonnaise tuna and celery aspic um, what's aspic like casserole so aspic is just like a savory jello oh what? they're like they're like meat aspics regardless i just you know i'm looking at the can right now and my expert analysis there's no dents in it there's no you know there's no bloating at the top or bottom of the can i think there's very little signs that there's botulism to be concerned about it probably will taste a little bit rank and disgusting but I don't think he's going to get poisoned. Wow, That's Pete. kind of like my hot take. <laughs> it, so- it sounds like you've done this before. <laughs> Listen, I've, had, I've, I've been curious. I, I can't say I haven't been curious, but yeah, no, that, that, that can of soup looks old as hell, but I think that at least we he can rest assured that he will not die. Rest in peace. So yeah, uh... he can rest assured he will not rest in peace. Exactly. It's really interesting you, you bring up the jello because I know even in the, in the article they mentioned, I think the oldest thing they'd got was a, a pack of jello from 1997 so i don't know what it is about jello but people just be getting reckless with it i think so far um the campaign has raised five thousand, and the goal is to reach ten thousand by november 25th so i guess thursday this week but i was wondering kind of after reading the story i thought i would ask you both like what's what's the most questionable thing you've ever eaten like i know for me Okay, here's like for me like dry foods. Dry foods, I don't. I tend to not take the expiration date too seriously. Like if I have like a box of crackers and it says like it expired a week ago, I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> what does this really mean? Um, I'm trying to think about. But I'm trying to think the most questionable thing. Something related to work. I know when I first started working at the Gateway, um, <laughs> I, w- <laughs> I went into the office. <laughs> I'm not proud of this. <laughs> Oh. Okay, so right now our office is um it's it's under construction. Um not yeah, cuz there, there was a leak and there's some things to fix, but back when it was open, um I remember one of the first times I went in there. Um I went to my desk and I think it was the old arts and culture editor before me. Um she'd left like a bag of Skittles on there. 
And the first couple days that I went in, I I totally ignored it. And then like one day, I think I just been there for a while, and I was like, you know what? No one's gonna eat these Skittles. So I I look at them, and I think they'd expired like maybe four or five months before. That. <laughs> but like I said, like who cares to dry foods? So yeah, I I ate them all in like in about ten minutes. Um, <laughs> that's probably like the most recent questionable thing I've done with food. How about you guys? Is there anything? I remember those bags of Skittles. That's Do all you? I'm gonna say. I'm they, well, they were originally. I think they. Were I really Peyton's thought no actually. one would notice. I think they were our old opinion editors because they were on my desk originally, and I kind of just moved oh. them into the center to see what would happen. Well, now and we know. So I, oh, this is like a social I'm not experiment. gonna lie. I did. I don't know if you ate them all because I remember having. I remember seeing them open once and then having one or two. I'm not oh gonna lie. Oh my god! Okay, guys. all right. But you um, know, so you're also culpable. You're you're accomplice fine. to this crime. That's I I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like what's like I've I've probably eaten a lot of questionable things. Not because I I'm an actual eagle for an expiration date. Like the mm. idea of being a four, like fourteen year old can of soup terrifies me. But I, I I feel like I've probably accidentally eaten some questionable things. Um, the only thing I can think of immediately off the top of my head though is that I listeners that cannot see my desk slash coworkers that cannot see my desk oh, but don't I've know seen, how I messy a person yeah. I am. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Tom's seen it once. It's like a collection of bubbly cans, old Wait, coffee what? cups. and I... Yeah, bubbly. I, I drink bubbly. Like, I probably drink five bubbly cans a day. I have so many <laughs> cans on my desk. Um, and there was one time where I went to pick up a can of Pepsi I was drinking. And I picked up probably like a two-month-old can of Pepsi and accidentally drank out of it. And that Ooh. was that was pretty nasty Ooh. and disgusting immediately. Oh goodness. You um, know, that's, that must have been very lukewarm. And like flat. Was, yeah. Um, I'm trying to imagine what that like, the Pepsi The texture was fizz. also like not fully liquid. Texture, bitch, okay. Whoa. Texture. It had solidified? Oh. <laughs> Not solidified. But was it, was it like... chewy, Mitch? Was your Pepsi chewy? No, no, no. <laughs> was it God, crunchy? It, wasn't. it was. It was like. <laughs> it was like, like thick. Did you have to like use well, dental floss yeah. after you drank it? Like just pick it out of your teeth? Like. <laughs> oh, it has some viscosity. Oh. It had a little bit of body. It was a little thicker than he remembered. <laughs> Damn. Me, bad. me since quarantine started. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the two-month-old Pepsi um, version of myself. <laughs> what about you, though, Pia? We haven't heard your nightmare fuel yet. Okay. I, feel, yeah. I feel like for listeners, to give context, Pia's like a gourmet chef. Pia mm-hmm. makes some of the most gorgeous food I've seen. So but there has to be some misses like, in there. Curious to hear yeah, there, there has to be yeah. some big misses in there. I Yo, think. okay, so the thing is, I used to be a real expiration date ego, like in the way Mitchell is. Um, but then I started working at a food bank and learning more about dry foods and like perishables and what to expect in terms of things. And I just started appreciating my food more deeply. And I now go by what I call and what a a lot of experts, let's say experts call the smell test, right? When it comes to my dairy, my perishable, sometimes you just gotta, gotta give it a little bit of a whiff. Um, and I had this really, like really good greek yogurt like it was pretty expensive and i think what happened was i just had a really busy week where it got like buried at the back of the fridge for a couple weeks 
Uh, my fridge is pretty cold though, so I thought I was in the clear, and <laughs> I just I couldn't remember whether or not the smell of the Greek yogurt was like how you know fancy because some you know rich people food sometimes fancy food smells uh. a little bit off, but you eat it anyway because you're like okay, must be a reason why people are spending all that money on that. So took a couple sniffs of the Greek yogurt, and I could not tell whether or not it was good to go, and or if it was not good to go. But let me tell you, uh, listeners, and to my coworkers as well, I was good to go after Ooh. eating a little bit of that Greek yogurt. <laughs> Gotta tell you, I don't know if it was the lactose intolerance or if Jesus. it was something else going down, but that was probably in recent memory something sketchy that I've eaten. But I feel like, you know, we've all had times where we're a little intoxicated coming home from White Avery. You're just really hungry, got the munchies because you're intoxicated, and you just eat something you maybe could could have thought twice about if you were sober, but did not in the moment um but for for sober eating that greek yogurt was probably not a call not the good call or the right call but i didn't want to waste money right so Damn. i think that's, that's on I mean, me the money part is fair yeah i feel like money will influence how you milk feel. are like m- no m- milk and yogurt are like my worst idea of what to eat once they're expired so you're you're a much braver damn soul than i, I just am. couldn't i just didn't know if that fermented you know the kind of sourish smell was if it was off or if it was just because it was like fancy greek yogurt yeah now i know and you know sometimes yeah. you learn from your mistakes in fact that's literally the only way i learn anything is because i messed up so uh listeners take it from me maybe maybe sniff the yogurt more than twice <laughs> if you're if you're a little bit unsure about it <laughs> yo thank god you're being careful in the pandemic because you really can't afford to get covid and lose your lose your sense of smell you're gonna kill yourself <laughs> <laughs> just real. eating whatever like how do i know this is expired <laughs> be, you can lose your sense of taste though i mean so pure yeah could, pure would not have to waste any money uh-huh. okay. could do yeah no anything. for sure and but i usually am pretty good in terms of <laughs> uh, throwing out food that's possibly gone bad it was just like this circumstance i wasn't quite sure Man. but yeah um yeah working at a food bank just makes me wanna did you know that canned foods are usually okay like up to a year or two after their expiry date on the can or the best before date because that's why it's a best before date it's best yeah. before that time but it's still okay after that time yeah, I've always thought it was kind of like with expiry dates, it's more with um, like, you know, how elevators say there's a like 1100 pound max, mm-hmm. but I've heard in reality elevators can hold like two or three times that, but they just put that number on there, like just so there's a safe margin. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've always kind of felt that way. Well, not always, but like more recently, I felt that way with best before dates, too. It's like this isn't like, are you really telling me some guy in a lab was like, oh, at 1232 p.m.? on december 15th this is gonna be bad to eat it's like no it's this is all just a guess i can probably and, eat it a week and it, it really depends on like even for example uh, a lot of dry foods like tom said don't necessarily have a an expired date or a best before date mm-hmm. really their best before date but like if your pantry let's say you live in edmonton in an apartment building and you're like on the 13th or 14th floor in an older building it's a little bit hot a little bit sweaty not really a cool and dry place even though it's in your pantry sounds like a rave. those chocolate chips those like that <laughs> honey that you have it might not be good anymore even though 
you know, the best before date says that it's fine. So it really depends on the kind of environment you're leaving your food into, um, which is why, you know, best before date for like yogurt, ice cream, stuff like that, for example, is again, just a best before. But there are things that are that do expire that yeah. you should not consume after the expiry date. Uh, I don't think any of us have to worry about this, but like baby formula, um, baby formula expires. Uh, Ensure boosts like those like nutritional supplements, those also expire. Um, and anything that it's like a health food that has some sort of medicinal property after the best before date, the the half-life of whatever sort of uh, medicinal component it is in there starts to start whittling down. So mm -hmm. that's the only things to really watch out for. But I guess the conclusion, at the end of the day, just don't be nasty. Keep your food in a clean place, you know? If it says exactly. cool and dry, try to make sure that your pantry is actually cool and dry. If you make sure your fridge is nice and cold, uh, put things in the freezer. More things freeze than you think. Um, I freeze everything. My freezer's too small. But yeah. Um, Mold, not edible. Um, also, on, on that sure note, if you that. are going to eat an expired food, tweet your food bank and see if you can get $10,000 donated to them <laughs> to do it. At least make... for a good cause. You know, I could have gotten... Make it worth our time. I could have yeah, eaten that exactly. yogurt for something. For yeah. some purpose. But, you know, this guy, sure. this guy smarter than me that's why yeah. i guess also though pia to go back to your description of if you're in edmonton on the 13th or 14th floor like a moist building were you just describing lister hall on our show for <laughs> listeners not familiar yeah yo a literally lister hall the cure to covid the cure to cancer the cure to everything like, everything is going in those fridges man this one time i was in lister and i opened up a like a cabinet just like a random cabinet um, during around cleanup time and I opened up a cabinet there was a pack of bacon just in a cabinet uh, like not in the fridge man, just first, just first just... years man <laughs> how much y'all want to bet someone I... ain't that like <laughs> no, like regardless <laughs> I've never seen a pig in a fridge <laughs> listeners I really wish that you could see Mitchell just gesticulating his eyebrows are doing a tango it's it's yeah. awesome <laughs> yeah i don't know well at least uh at least the world is getting a break from lister for this year um also <laughs> also i guess we want to wish, wish uh oliver o'brien best of luck he has uh, i think three more days to raise ten thousand dollars if you feel like helping him out um you can check out parkdale food bank um on instagram and also i think it's just fair to say if it's not already clear none of us are medical professionals here so if you eat your expired crackers and drop dead it's not our fault um <laughs> don't bring no, no. this up <laughs> there's something else going on there if you yeah probably you've been poisoned um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you eat the lister bacon <laughs> yeah die. if you eat the lister bacon and die um we warned you um <laughs> <laughs> moving on from that uh pia you had um I guess kind of a big story coming out of coming out of provincial politics recently. There was an announcement um, from Minister of Justice Casey Madu. Do you want to fill us in on that? Yeah, for sure. So, um, especially in the context of this year, with Black Lives Matters protests becoming really prominent and very like large scale here in Edmonton specifically, and in just like a lot of like. Um, campaigning against police brutality and just reforming or defunding police even um, in Canada and in this province. Uh, the Minister of Justice, Casey Madu, announced on November 19th, so that's about three days ago, mm -hmm. um, listeners from when we're recording now, at a press conference that the 
province of Alberta is finally putting an end to street carting in the province. So uh, for those of you not aware, there's actually already judicial, uh, there's already judicial uh, precedence for this because the Supreme Court and another smaller court in Toronto ruled that it was unconstitutional for the Toronto Police Department to conduct carting. So uh, there's a lot of precedent for this already, but Alberta now has banned carting. So for those of you listeners who might not know what carting is, carting is kind of like arbitrary um, detainment of people and asking them for their information. So detainment in the criminological sense doesn't necessarily mean like you're going to prison. Detainment just means that your freedom of speech or not freedom of speech, your freedom of movement, and I guess speech to some extent, is is stopped so the the cops stop you they put you in handcuffs they ask you for your id sort of thing for no real reason um so there's been a lot of precedence for this a lot of people pushed for the ndp the previous incumbent government under rachel notley um to do this but they did not uh but carding was officially ended last uh three days ago however um street checks have not been stopped um and a lot of critics Uh, are saying that that's the same thing, right? That street checks, um, how they differ from carding, at least like when they're codified or on paper, street checks, there is some sort of underlying motive or rational as to why cops would stop you, that they have some sort of reason to believe that there's something going on as to Mm -hmm. why they should stop you. Yeah, they say it's for an investigative reason. Yeah. for some sort of investigative yeah. reason carding um what in it like as it's codified is just an arbitrary stopping of someone um so again critics including actually the u alberta uh, the university of alberta unfortunately only has one black professor in the law department and his name is uh Baka Ob- Oboku, i think obogu or something like yeah, that yeah let yeah. me just pull up his name really quickly i follow him on twitter he's pretty he's a, he's a really good follow he's pretty cool yeah he's, he's also really vocal yeah um, but yeah obako ogbogu uh mm-hmm. associate law professor at the university of alberta and many other activists are saying yo this is the same thing that in practice street checks are virtually the same as carding and if you go on twitter he's actually in an active like Twitter battle between uh, Casey Madu right now, um, disagreeing about this. So, you guys, thoughts on this move? Just, just for question, just to make sure I got it right. The difference that the government's claiming between carding and street checks—that carding you don't need a reason, mm-hmm. but street checks you need an investigative reason. That's the only tangible difference between them, correct? Yeah, yeah. And I should mention that another thing that Madu said would happen from now on is that there are going to be standards set that police have to um you know collect statistical information or data about the number of street checks that they conduct per year and they have to report it to the province four times a year so but let me let me rephrase that for you so the police do street checks and the police make the data and the police look at their own information about if those street checks are okay the police decide whether or not oh is this sketchy and then they give it to the province so it's still like that whole like police investigating themselves sort of circle but mm-hmm. i will like in the best case scenario let this lead to some i guess additional oversight on street checks as a practice but again much like its critics as i am one of those critics i don't i'm not convinced that carding is 
any different from street checks in practice. I don't, so I don't know. What What are yeah. your guys' thoughts on this? Yeah, it was it was interesting. Like when I was when I was reading reading more about it to see. Um, apparently, I think uh, Edmonton police and Calgary police they they already had policies um, against carding, and I guess this just made it uh, province wide. And I was I was also reading an article. It is on Edmonton CTV talking about it. And I think interestingly enough, there was in Edmonton police. Um, a 48% reduction comparing 2020 to 2019 in terms of how many street checks were performed. The number's still really high. Uh, in 2020, well, between January 1st and June 30th, 2020, there was 3,591 street checks, which is kind of like, whoa, when you look what at that. What the um, hell? Yeah, in 2019. Just Edmonton alone? Yeah, in 2019, in the same period, there was 6,889. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of wild to think there was there was even more but um there was um it's interesting though like yeah the whole investigative reason part it's it's super vague when you think about that because it's like if especially the, like a big complaint about carding is that a lot of times it's people are being racially profiled so like if you're if you're a black or indigenous person or, or i don't know for someone who for some reason the police deem uh, suspicious then they would stop you and card you and the thing is, like, when you say add an investigative reason, I don't know how substantive that is in terms of, of forcing people to, like, legitimize their actions. Because, like, let's say if I'm in a – if I live in a neighborhood which which maybe has has has, has, has a lot of crime there, there, it's very easy to drum up some investigative reason um, to stop and talk to someone. And then, like, like Pia mentioned, at the end of the day, my report is going to be looked at by another cop who's going to look at it and it's up to him to say, Oh, is this bad? And then they'll forward it on to Casey Madu, who is already questionable, I guess, to begin with. And I think, I don't know, the last thing, which, which kind of makes me um, suspicious of it is I, I know a lot of activists, they've been kind of complaining that this is more just a PR stunt mm-hmm. and not really anything substantive, especially the timing of it. Um, and when you read uh, Casey Madu in his announcement, um, he, he brought up the issue of, of defunding the police um and he has an interesting he has an interesting quote here he says like you may have heard different buzzwords lately um like reallocating as opposed to defunding um but the goal is the same pandering to the far left ideology being pushed by radical activists i just think like reading that you kind of see like the misrepresentation going on there i think it kind of speaks to maybe where the where the province is you know quote-unquote hard is in in this scenario because at the end of the day like okay there's police reform or they might call this police reform, but at the end of the day, they're still trying to make out the people who are calling for police reform to make them sound like these radical socialists <clears throat> who are out to overthrow society. Um, so I don't know. I think it's, you know, I, I think it's kind of a case of having to wait and see what the actual results look like. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, and really, I just really, really quickly want to drive home what you just said a little bit earlier, Tom. Carding as a practice... And I can say this with certainty because I used to be in the criminology department at the U of A and like this is my interest in study. Um, The problem with carding is almost certainly the racist applications of carding. If carding was just used as a practice kind of like generally, I think that it would be bad, but not as bad as it is in its current iteration as it happens, like as it still happens in many places. Um, And as Casey Nadeau was making this announcement, Uh, His frame was really interesting. He framed it as a privacy problem that people Mm. ought not to have their privacy um, infringed upon through carding. 
and not as a race issue, as not as a racist issue, not as something that has systematically happened to people who are disenfranchised, who are marginalized, who are Black or Indigenous, who are just visibly poor. That's the people, those are the folks who are regularly tar targeted by, by carding. And for him to frame it as a privacy issue just absolutely takes away from all of that work that has been done by advocates to speak up against carding because it's a racist thing that happens, right? So I just, yeah, it's just really interesting. All this framing, it's really smart. It's really sneaky. Yeah. It's really greasy, but yeah, it's happening. But what, what do you think, Mitchell? Uh, I would agree. Um, I mean, as a white person, I don't really- Say what? Oh, no. <laughs> I, I know for listeners that don't know from my i am stunned I, as I, i'm trying to i'm I trying to know. think of um i know it's i for those of you that don't see color i'm white um, um, <laughs> but, uh, um, i i know you know it's a it's, it's a real intense process for people that are colorblind but yeah as a white person i've never had to live in fear of carding and i also don't think I'll ever be carded and I can almost say that with near certainty I like and it's it's because of my background I come from a upper middle class neighborhood um and I I am white yeah and I, I think that the vast majority of instances where carding are used as as P has pointed out is against marginalized communities and it really it gets me that a practice like that still continues to be used especially when people like to consistently compare us to the states and say oh like we're so yeah. much better than the states but there's so many urban centers there that have actually gotten around to banning it and we're still behind in that perspective um and on casey madu specifically i think tom's quote that he pulls is also very apt because the ucp's facebook page used that as like the, the the quote they pulled from the stories they shared an article that and then said look at this quote and so it's, it's the ability to look at activists and say we're doing something for you by banning carding but not mm -hmm. banning street checks, and then turn around to their own base and say, oh, look, Casey Madu is taking a hard line against defunding the police, which is something that Casey Madu has ultimately always done. Casey Madu has also threatened to withdraw funding from municipalities if they mm -hmm. defund the police or reallocate the police budget. So ultimately, it's a performative act. And I mean, Casey Madu also kind of gets me in this case because... Casey Madu is seems to be Casey Madu is one of the few people of color in the UCP cabinet, mm -hmm. and I yeah. cr someone correct me if I'm wrong. I believe he's the only black MLA. black yeah. cabinet minister in Alberta currently. Yeah. Um, and it just seems like he's someone that really comes out and is the party. The party consistently puts him out on these issues, um, despite the fact that the party's policies really, in my personal opinion, do not benefit communities of color in any way, shape, or form, and this shows it. Um, and then just one, sorry, I, I was thinking about this too when Tom was, and Pia were talking about uh, um, like leaving so much of the data and the data collection up to police. There's so much actual concern there that I think isn't voiced enough. Like, I think the most, like, this is an antidotal piece of evidence, but I think a, a real concern is comparing it to reporting sexual assaults mm. in Canada. Um, Robin Doolittle at the Globe and Mail did this really great investigative piece a few years back called Unfounded, where it's um, police officers can mark a claim of sexual assault as unfounded, and that basically ends the investigation. And when Robin Doolittle actually was the first person to really dig into it, she found that one in five 
sexual assault complainants were found as unfounded or claimed to be baseless. So it's like when the police are the ones in charge of looking over their own data, I have really in like I really question their sincerity when they're talking about what qualifies as an investigative like retort or like an investigative reason to stop someone and just to clarify these were these were sexual assault complaints like within the police within police departments uh it was it was to the police it was um, oh okay yeah i can send i i will send it for tom to put in the show notes but yeah um it's the exact headline from the global mail is the police dismiss one in five sexual assault complaints as baseless um but yeah, I guess another thing just to, to really bring street checks back into the convo about whether or not they're inherently different, there's also a lot of like pragmatic ra- reasons us to, to like for us to believe that um, presuppose you're just some guy walking down the street um, and the police like think that you're walking a funny way and then they call out to you and you're a little bit regressive, aggressive in your response, right? That automatically, I think, could be made a case that now they feel they have some grounds to investigate you because you responded to them aggressively and it's like why did they respond aggressively there's all sorts of ways i feel like people could be subject to some degree of entrapment or some way of you know um just if something aggressive happened to them or if people were just defensive because again it's not pleasant for policemen to come up to you and just interrogate why you're there and for what reason i feel like there's a lot of ways that this could be twisted into kind of in practice being carding um anyway right so that that's what leaves me really uh, concerned is because now there's an additional legal implication where police can use the defensive street checks being legal, use the defensive street checks being more, um, you know, regulated with the new rules and everything, and use that defense in order to actually protect themselves, uh, like a protective veneer uh, for these sorts of actions that did not exist when carding happened, because carding is illegal, or at least unconstitutional. So that's another additional really huge concern I actually have with this happening. Um, which maybe is why the NDP was, I don't know, maybe that's why the NDP was, um, if, if we take them at their best, hesitant to uh, remove this. But um, regardless, you know, I don't buy it. I don't think either of you buy <laughs> that uh, ending of carding in Alberta is necessarily a plus, uh, especially not in the way that it's framed as a privacy issue. And really, it's about racism and Alberta, the Alberta government, especially incumbent one, um, I don't know if they see color Mitchell. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I'm happy to give them a forewarning. Um. Yeah. You might be in good company, Mitch. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think it really is. This story is really is a case of like how far you read into the article. Because if you just read um, the Alberta government banned street checks, I mean carding, you might be happy about that until you read on about street checks. And, mm-hmm. uh, and what exactly is going on. But I think, like a lot of activists are saying, this is kind of um, a case of having to wait and see. Um, the way it's been rolled out, there are maybe some questions about the sincerity of it, but we're going to have to see uh, whether whether this results in any sort of tangible, tangible changes. Um, but I think to move on to uh, some U of A news, this has been a pretty big week uh, at the U of A. There's been a lot of... Uh, a, been a lot of... Uh, um, hot, hot news dropping. Um, and so I think we want to get into that. We do have a few headlines we're going to cover. Mitch, do you want to start us off with uh, with LaughGate 
<laughs> tell us exactly what's going 100%. on there. A hundred percent. So Laughgate, as as we will be referring to it here, <laughs> which feels very accurate, is a bit of a controversy that has emerged over incumbent President Bill Flanagan's handling of a question and answer session at a town hall on academic restructuring. So I know we've talked about academic restructuring a bit before on the podcast, but it's going to be uh, for for listeners who um, don't quite remember it or haven't had the chance to listen to that episode, it's going to be the merging and amalgamation of faculties and academic departments within the U of A to try and achieve cost savings. So it's undoubtedly probably the biggest institutional change this year. And in response, the University of Alberta has been holding numerous town halls and like consultation circles um, to try and get feedback on their initiatives. However, like they're they're quite often have been criticized for mm. excluding voices by both professors and students. And this really came to a head at the town hall this past Thursday. Um, it was a change from previous town halls in the sense that uh, normally the way that these town halls have been working in the past was that the president and provost um, would come to these town halls, do a presentation on the current format of restructuring, and then answer questions over a program called Thought Exchange, which is like you submit questions um, written online, and presenters get the chance to select which questions they want to answer. So, which is definitely a lot of shady stuff, but... Hmm? No, I was going to say it's an important point, obviously. They get to pick the questions they answer. Yeah. Yeah. And well, that's where a lot of the criticism comes from. So I I would assume it was in response to this criticism, but I can't say for sure. Um, they did make a change at the last town hall where they had pre-selected Zoom participants that had been pre-selected by um, faculties to come participate. So it was it was honestly a lot of, in my personal opinion political theater because these participants were pre-selected many of them were staff um some of them had great concerns but a lot of the time it was much more um broad questions and then we get to the second last question which was posed by a student um an engineering student named adrian and i'm gonna ask pia for the pronunciation of his last name because i always feel like i butcher it um i think it's like watamiak or something like that watamiak yes thank you yeah watamiak yeah I, I, yeah, I'm an editor that can't speak English all the time for <laughs> listeners' context. Um, well, you're a writer, not but, uh, a speaker, right? <laughs> Show the human. True. This Show is the true. human. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, shit. <laughs> amazing. Um, but no, so Adrian went into a roughly two to three minute comment that he had prepared the morning of uh, when he was asked to participate in this that really leveled a lot of criticisms against the way that consultations have been structured to exclude student feedback and how the University of Alberta has been ignoring a lot of their own professors' concerns and commentary mm-hmm. over the restructuring process. And during his comments, um, the president, Bill Flanagan, and Provost Stephen Dew left the screen. Um, and when they returned to the screen, Bill Flanagan was laughing in response to his question and essentially said, oh, that's such, that's a very interesting perspective. Um, thanks for your comments and feedback and then moved on yeah. um, after Stephen Dew essentially said the same thing, but it got a lot of attention online and it's because it comes across as very dismissive. It's the fact that Bill, it's, it's how Bill Flanagan chose to handle this questioning in, in a way that seemed extremely derivative, derivative and dismissive of yeah. um, Adrian's concerns. And he was like, and Adrian laughing. himself said similar things. 
Yeah, and he was even like laughing through his response, like like what like when he was saying thank you for your concerns, he was still laughing <laughs> while he was saying all that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean to be fair to um, President Flanagan, he did issue an apology to Adrian after the fact. Um, however, as Adrian said when the Gateway interviewed him for comment, Adrian said, "You know, this really does represent. I feel like what the issue is with giving feedback." is that when we give criticism, the admin laughs at us, and it's, it's quite figuratively what's happening. And um, yeah, that's that's the news story. And as someone who's, as um, the Gateway's opinion editor, I've gone to numerous town halls and academic restructuring. Um, both of the staff members here, my colleagues, can testify that all I talk about is academic restructuring at this point, <laughs> yeah. taking up so much of, a, <laughs> of my personal life and time. But uh as Mitchell's blood composition, re- listeners, Mitchell's blood composition is like 40% bubbly and like 30% academic restructuring and 30%, I don't know, sass. <laughs> so that's basically what this person is, what Yo. he is uh, uh, driven by. <laughs> oh, props I would happily to, take that. Props are actually making it to 100% on that. When I, whenever I try to do metaphors like that, I'm always <laughs> over and under 100%. <laughs> Well, you're welcome. Hundred percent brains here. It's because of my lactose intolerance, Tom. <laughs> um, as an art student, I can't do math, so I couldn't even tell if that added up to hundred percent. Um, um, but but no, um, I was just—it was so refreshing to see a student perspective on this issue that was critical. Um, you know, it's it's been a long time. The way these town halls have been set up we haven't heard anyone else's voices other than um, primarily President Flanagan and Vice Provost Stephen Dew. And it was so nice to hear other people's voices and to hear a critical perspective. And it's, it's a big shame that Flanagan met it in such a derivative way, you know, and I, and I get that Flanagan, President Flanagan might've been unexpected or laughing awkwardly, but regardless, he still didn't engage with the question or the criticism that was leveled at him. And I think it was very, very telling. Yeah. And yeah, what, what do you guys think about it, though? I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on it. I don't know. After watching um, the video, which um, I'll, I'll put a link in, in the show notes of the article from The Gateway, where we talk a little bit more about this. It includes the video of, uh, of President Flanagan laughing. It wasn't like the response he gave. Okay, obviously, you know, you, you don't want to read too much in because like, you can't really tell people's intentions, but it was the kind of response you gave if you hadn't been listening to what <laughs> someone had said. I'm um, just kind of saying like, oh, thank you for those uh, kind words. Um, and now just moving on to uh, to whatever the next topic is. Um, but I think in terms of my thoughts more generally of it, I think this is something we've talked a lot about on the podcast so far, which is that through this whole academic restructuring process, it hasn't been super clear, you know, like, to, like, just to be frankly honest, it hasn't been super clear whose side the administration is, is really on. Um, mm-hmm. Like, when you look at some of the hires that have been made, when you look at uh, just the posture that's been adopted towards uh, the provincial government and some of the cuts that they're making, um, we've talked a bit before about how how almost undemocrat- undemocratic the consultation process has been. And I think it all just kind of was manifested there in, like, I can't think of a more perfect metaphor of literally a student saying like, yo, I'm scared of, of the state of the school. And then the president just going like, ha ha ha, <laughs> moving on <laughs> to the next question. Um, you know, and it, even though he issued an apology, it is just kind of alarming to see it, you know, kind of put out there so clearly. Um, Pia, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, 
I actually know Adrian from the debate club at the University of Alberta. I'm an intercollegiate debater myself, and I was really proud of the way he articulated his concerns and many students, others' concerns, really, to administration. So the way I think about it, I'll put it like this. Um, I've heard some people defend President Flanagan, and I do understand to some extent that um, Adrian was quite well-spoken. He said a lot of things in those three minutes, mm-hmm. um, and he did direct a very um, eloquent sort of monologue almost to administration. That being said, though, even if we like take them at their best, and this is something that Adrian also said, let's take administration at their best. They wanted to do this process for the town hall where faculty selected students who they felt would be representative of their faculties of whatever demographic they were selected from and you know present concerns to administration in my mind adrian was selected to be part of that process by his engineering dean if you're going to create or set up some sort of town hall structure that firstly reduces the amount of pe- like amount of people who can participate to ask questions to begin with by screening them and secondly um, in doing this, create a sample, like a smaller sample size of students, I would expect that every single question posited by those students is responded to in an appropriate way, that they've prepared enough and, you know, anticipated that somebody at some point is going to ask a hard question or make a difficult comment in the way that Adrian did. So to me, It is an utter shame that no matter how hard they tried, it kind of like looks optically to me at the worst, like they're trying to suppress a lot of more um, perhaps angry sounding because at the end of the day, Adrian was still very like well-spoken. He didn't like curse them out or anything like that. He, He was very much respectful of the process. At the end of the day, they did as much as they possibly could to kind of in my mind, it looks like optically they tried to, um, you know, select students who probably wouldn't make much of a fuss. They should have expected that one person would at least make a fuss. In the best case scenario, they wanted to be as representative as possible to have like an equal representation of students from every faculty of every department that they that they invited to this thing. So if we take them at their best, you know, and that they've selected people to be as representative as possible, I think that makes it even worse at the end of the day that Flanagan responded to Adrian's comments in the way that he did, because every person that spoke at that event isn't then entitled to, I would expect, a substantive, well-thought-out response. There is no shame as a presenter if he ha- if President Flanagan said, you brought up a lot of points there, Adrian. I would like to take a couple minutes to maybe discuss with my colleagues over Zoom, over the chat, or look over my notes to think about ways I can respond to you. That's the sort of level of respect I would expect administration to have for the participants of this town hall um, in any format, but especially in the format that they created where they had these representatives, right? So I just think um, that at the end of the day, no matter what his intention was, and I would like to take President Flanagan at his best here to some extent, I, I part of me doesn't really want to believe that he was laughing at a student yeah. just for laughing at him, right? At the end of the day, administration was ill-prepared for a town hall of their own structure and of their own making and that is a goddamn shame right and that is unacceptable especially for something that has so much tangible impact 
on people's lives, whether it's students, non-academic staff, academic staff, this re this academic restructuring is going to change the lives and the livelihoods of so many people. Um, so to be dismissed like that and to be so woefully unprepared to respond to Adrian, I think uh, is just unacceptable. So that's kind of my take. Like <laughs> they, they, they failed at, like they did everything they could to make the structure work for them and they still didn't like plug up those holes. And I think that that was a really big mistake on administration's part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And just on that, just really quickly, I think there's just two important things to say. Yeah. Cause like even I, I'll read off Flanagan's own statement um, right. to give, cause I, I do want to take Flanagan at his best. Um, and Flanagan apologized, and his exact quote was, um, quote, I was impressed by Adrian's comment, which was a thoughtful and well-delivered critique, and I thank him for speaking up, unquote. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think if Flanagan genuinely thought that, like, I, I get that you might have been ill-prepared, as Pia said, um, but honestly, at the end of the day, A, there isn't much of an excuse for being ill-prepared when these kinds of critiques have been leveled by different professors and students. Um, at the administration prior, like, I... I myself have written an editorial in the student paper literally saying that the process is undemocratic. Um, and I, it's, it, and someone wrote, uh, David Kahane and Lynette Schultz, who are both professors, wrote op-eds in the Edmonton Journal saying that this process is undemocratic. Like, these aren't new concerns or critiques that Flanagan has never heard of before. So it's quite ridiculous for him to, like, to have responded like that. And, um, but even if it wasn't, like, I think his whole, his lack, his, response or lack thereof one shows that he's really strayed from academia you know i think one of the best comments i saw online about this was that in academia we're supposed to be an institution that encourages hard questions mm -hmm. and encourages thinking about the hard decisions ahead of us and the whole university of alberta tomorrow process right from the beginning where people weren't even invited to really partake in town hall like where people's voices couldn't be heard at town halls or where it was set up in such questionable ways to the last town hall they did where it basically ended with Flanagan laughing in response to a question really shows how far they've moved away from that ideal of academic critique and academic excellence that they consistently claim they want to be known for. And, um, and just another thing, just really, really quickly, Mitchell, uh, yeah. I just w I want to throw back to that how this process happened like started right adrian got an email at like 9 30 a.m the day that it was happening and he mm. prepared that statement he prepared all of these things he got ready for this event in an hour and a half from the, the time that he got that email and he had he put enough thought and care into what he was going to bring to the table why did it feel like that wasn't the same way from the administrative side yeah yeah well, and just as a last note to the way that this town hall was set up was, as Pia said, honestly, to administration's benefit. Um, I mean, they had they had comms employees asking questions, Literally. you know, and to give an example of that, it's they had Kate Willis, who's the acting communications head of the Faculty of Science, who's, you know, comms employees' jobs is to try and make the university look appealing and good. I don't get why the only undergrad student who asked question at least that i saw was adrian and it was taken in such a derivative way and then also just talk about the makeup of this town hall real quick um for those of you that don't see color <laughs> apparently you're not alone because the vast majority of the panel that was visible on the screen um was white there was something i did see another student 
uh, mention on social media was the fact that there do not seem to be many visible people of color a part of this panel, which also is detrimental considering that the university has said in response to Black Lives Matter marches that they want to try and recommit themselves to equity and diversity yet. You pre-select people for this town hall and the people you ended up pre-selecting, at least from what was available to see to the public, does not appear to be very diverse. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I think obviously be, uh, seeing the best in President Flanagan has been kind of a, a theme of this convo so far. And I, I think, I don't know if Mitchell, you already mentioned it, but it, it is fair to mention that during the speech, uh, President Flanagan goes off camera and then he comes back and he's laughing. So it's possible that, I don't know, maybe someone said something funny to him um, while he was gone. But uh, but yeah, I think like, like you and, and Pia have both said, um, the general structure structure of the of the town hall kind of makes you kind of makes you wonder, you know, what exactly, you know, what exactly this restructuring is going to look like and maybe what the U of A's intentions are. Um, but I did think it would be important to move on to our second story. It's going to be the last story for today. Uh, Mitchell, you wanted to share us um, the new updates with the winter fees for 2021. And I've heard some people are getting pretty mad about those. Do you want to explain maybe why? Yeah, a hundred percent. So our staff reporter, Rachel Narvi, actually did an amazing job Rachel. reporting on this. Um, Shout out to Rachel. Yeah, as, as I've said to listeners before, Kajo's our news queen, but Rachel, Rachel's our news princess. <laughs> She's like the princess Diana of our... Oh, of our okay, um, maybe not the best. Oh, uh, let's not make a... <laughs> I don't know if you want to be the princess oh, no. Diana of anything. <laughs> okay well yeah Rich, let's just abandon that <laughs> metaphor oh no um well who else would you want her to be princess anne There's, question mark i don't know like i don't know anyone else really anyway winter fees mitch <laughs> do you want to fill us in on all those? i'm trying to yeah. say is that is that rachel narvi is the people's princess um, she's the people's choice uh, but um winter fees so what happened was last week many students woke up to um to see um an extra 400 dollar charge on their winter um fee allocation on bears track uh to be precise i believe it was around 405 dollars um and many people originally thought that this was a $400 increase to tuition. Um, and in contrast, the actual reality is quite different. And in contrast to a lot of the misleading claims that were put out there by um, the unverified sources, what had happened was that um, the university had been reassessing a lot of their winter non-mandatory instruction fees, which are fees we pay every single year to get services on campus, um, such as um, athletic and recreation services, or the U-Pass is normally a mandatory non-instructional fee. Um, But given COVID, they had to reassess it. So they put off um, the winter, they put off the winter fees this year um, in order to assess them and see where we were at winter semester before charging them. Because normally these fees would be assessed all at the beginning of the year altogether. and so they only just finished reassessing it last week and they've decided that we need to pay certain fees that we were already paying for fall um that we were already paying while school is online and uh they decided to just charge them for winter now that we know it's going to be online uh however i do think there's something to be said about the justified outrage over some of these fees um there's quite a bit of anger online 
Um, and even though it's not a tuition increase, I think it's still right to question some of the fees that ended up getting charged. Yeah. So um, they didn't end up getting charged um, the UPass fee uh, or the physical activity and wellness fee because school is online. However, we will be paying for the student academic support fee, the health and wellness fee, and the athletics and recreation fee, which actually went up for winter semester, which, you know, I'm gonna be quite honest and say to, for all students to be assessed those fees, in my personal opinion, is questionable. Like for, I, yeah. I never use the gym when I'm on campus, <laughs> um, for listeners that don't know me. Um, I've gone through the UAlberta gym once in my life and it's because i was hung over and ended up there by accident um <laughs> that is a true fact you. um yeah but especially for a year that's online for every student to be assessed these fees including students that don't live in the city or even the province is um honestly quite disappointing to me yeah and i think when you look at even some of the articles i mean some of the quotes in rachel's article um, a lot of students like they, they brought up similar concerns like people are talking about you know why am I being charged the gym fee when I I can't even afford a bus pass to get there <laughs> there's no there's no U pass or you talk about maybe international students who are also being charged these fees and they're in a different country and it, it a lot of it just doesn't really make sense like in terms of, of even priorities like especially I think the U pass is a big one you know, people not being able to get around, but still having to pay for these fees, which a lot of them are for services which are on campus. And if you can't get to campus, it doesn't make sense. But I don't know. It's there's it's just doesn't seem super consistent in terms of the reasoning that went into this. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, students are footing the bill of government austerity. Yeah. And I understand that they're are some difficulties that make it so that there's really no other place that these costs can go because at the end of the day like the university has cut so many jobs already with more job cuts to come academic restructuring is well underway changing the actual faculty composition department comp composition at the u of a there's all sorts of institutional sorts of things happening um and students are footing the bill and this is just this happening again, quite literally with a, like another uh, suppose not an increase per se, because technically these were already um, decided upon. They're just being acted upon now. Mm -hmm. I think that that's really unfortunate. What I think is additionally really unfortunate is the fact that students are confused about these sorts of things to begin with, because students shouldn't be finding out this news midway through a semester. There are low income students. There are students who are working class. There are students who pay to like, who have to take uh, part-time employment um, to go to school to do these things. There are students who are uh, working mothers or single mothers. There are students who $400 is the bulk of their rent for like one month um, for their university housing. So I think that this could have been way better communicated to students rather than just the email that came out um yeah. because up a lot of like sources there was a lot of a lack of clarity but and a lot of people um just didn't know what the email was communicating or what it necessarily meant so when it comes to things like this i just wish that it was po it that that the university especially now um would be more mindful ensuring that these communications to students were as clear as possible because i love Rachel's article, it really delves into specific concerns that students have about these 
increases i just think that it's unfortunate it had to be written at all to begin with it's unfortunate that there was a lack of clarity so much so that there needed to be a literal news article to clear up a release that every single undergraduate student on campus technically got right that like that shouldn't be the case uh there's some articles that i wish that we didn't have to write but we we had to write this one and this is just a another another one of those things um and yeah moving forward I just I hope that the university is able to provide supports to people who this might actually jeopardize whether or not they're able to do winter semester because of that additional $400 because I'm sure that there are people that that $400 is not just it's not just $400 $400 is a lot of money to some people so that's I guess my kind of thoughts on that that I just wish that these communications were more transparent and I just really don't know what admin is doing nowadays um, when it comes to trying to communicate mass information to students, it's just failing pretty miserably. Um, as with the town hall, as with this email about MNIFs, um, it's just, none of it makes any sense, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and I, I get that the university needs to charge some money for like, for student support services and stuff, but it's like, I, it still just gets me because as, as Pia, as like you said, this is a makes huge differences for students who aren't like who are working class who are having to actually fight to try and get the money to go to university in the first place to be charged and this is the exact charge for the winter semester because i have it pulled up ninety dollars and twenty cents for an athletics and recreation fee that so many of these students won't even be able to access and if you are able to access it like so many people won't even choose to go yeah. not because they're just lazy and hate the gym like me but because <laughs> they are like have realistic concerns about the safety like honestly you can't wait for the province to be locked down again um mm -hmm. which is a, a real potentiality for students to not access like in which case we'll be paying 90 dollars and 20 cents for a fee that no one will be able to access like that's realistic concerns and it really disappoints me that the university of alberta doesn't seem to understand that for an institution that consistently like they really stress when we when people talk to them and when people talk about academic restructuring they stress the importance of going quickly because they're under financial pressures and they need to act quickly because they're under financial pressures so it's extremely frustrating that an institution that consistently talks about being under financial pressures fails to understand when they exert those exact same financial pressures on students yeah yeah no i think um I think poor communication has been the theme of the week, whether you're talking about uh, LaughGate or uh, or the increase in uh, in winter fees and the email that went out. Um, I don't know about you guys, but it feels great to become a more efficient university, doesn't it? Like, this is wonderful. <laughs> I've really been enjoying this process. If like, you just... have a admin, you have a admin, listen, here's my hot tip. If any of you are listening for some reason, I understand your job's really hard right now. Shit sucks. I would not want to be in a position um, to have to make these to. cuts uh but um here's my hot tip uh i think more students in consultation the better maybe hire some new grads uh when they graduate this year to help you with this restructuring process uh get that student perspective and meaningfully because these whack-ass town halls are clearly not enough um and uh you know i'm graduating next year so if you want uh, if you want someone who's well spoken, <laughs> someone... if you want someone who's willing to eat food past their expiration, yeah, man, gotcha, girl. Just, just hire Pia for her nose. Just sniff out. 
sniff out I the will, bullshit. I'll sniff out the bullshit for you. That is correct. I might not do anything about it. I might, I might still eat the thing I wasn't supposed to, but at least I could tell you that there was something wrong, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I just... In t- I just want... I, <laughs> I just... The university is such an important space, especially now in an austerity government that's like anti-academics. It's like anti-information. It's anti-intelligence. We need to be as good as possible, right? Like, um, we have to be as strong as possible against these these sort of oppressive things. And like, government austerity is oppressive. That's what it is. Um, So I just wish that the administration saw students not as like an obstacle, like a like a means to an end, but rather like in absolutely integral to any decision that they make. Because we, yeah, at the end of the day, we don't have a lot of power to change it, whether or not it happens. But um, we can sure bitch and moan about it for the next ten years or whatever the fuck. And uh, like, <laughs> we all know, uh, if there's anything I'm good at personally, it's bitching and moaning. And I'm sure that there are a lot of other Albertan students who are pretty pretty darn good at that too so <laughs> just watch out Nicole <laughs> and lippy cynical and lippy how i be proud to be yes i think uh i think that's probably a, a good note to close on uh for this week um and i guess yeah shout out oh. oh did you want to add something mitch really quickly though just uh-huh. i i uh just gateway 110 if you uh oh no we talked about it at the beginning out. oh i guess we might as well plug it again um yeah we talked about oh, did, we, did we talk about it at the beginning we did did you, just, brain did you just black out for that <laughs> like minute and a half I, well yeah apparently <laughs> you know no. actually now that we're talking about the gateway was actually formed by students who were bitching and moaning about Whoa. administration they were bitching and moaning Whoa. about things that were happening 110 years ago really? yeah mm-hmm. look at us now carrying and, the and and still bitching and moaning 110 years later uh and to see some of that bitching and moaning and actual actual like great reporting from uh, our news queen kadra and our princess diana apparently <laughs> rachel Darby, uh, that's at gtwy.ca you can see all of our coverage of the mnist shit the uh, or the mnist stuff going on and like the the academic restructuring stuff uh, I don't know. Come read our. You can read our bitching and moaning uh, <laughs> on paper. See, I'm I'm really tempted. Yeah. Well, and if you. Oh yeah, Mitch. If you are a student that loves to bitch and moan too, listener, <laughs> you can join us. Join the Gateway Fam. It's a hundred and years of pure debauchery, and you can be one of us. <laughs> yeah. Um. So go. If you go to the Gateway About Us page, it'll tell you more on how to get involved as a volunteer contributor, and you know. As a painting editor, there's nothing I love more than someone who can bitch and moan on paper. So um, feel free to, to shoot yeah. us off an email. I'm I'm really tempted right now to make um, bitch and moan the episode title. I don't know if it's gonna <laughs> if Adam's gonna approve that, <laughs> but I'm telling you, I man, approve it. <laughs> I'm really thinking about it. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So I think yeah, that's all for this week. Um, like we talked about a little bit before. Uh, if you want to get your hands on some Gateway merch in celebration of 110 years, um, make sure to check us out on redbubble.com. Um, you can also find the link on our Instagram page or on the banner on the gatewayonline.ca. Um, as always, if you're listening to the podcast right now, make sure to share with your friends. Um, subscribe, leave a rating, five stars only. That's the rule. Um, and we'll see you all again next week. Maybe Kadra will be here. Hopefully uh, she'll be available but at least there'll be three of us. Um, 
and yeah, that's all for today. Do you guys want to say bye f- to listeners? No? Bye, faves. Oh. <laughs> bye. See you next week. See you next week. <laughs> same time, same place. <laughs> I will uh, hopefully be bitching and moaning here next week as well. So I'll see you guys then. <laughs> all right. We'll see you guys all later. Take care. Bye.